Hello and welcome to this re-recording of a sermon from the 10 o'clock service on the 28th of May 2017. The preacher is Martin Saunders. The topic, prayer. Some of you may recall the BT adverts from the 1990s with Bob Hoskins and It's Good to Talk. That series of adverts helped BT to grow income by around $5 billion more than they were doing so anyway. You got people using their telephones that they already had installed a little bit more. Apparently, average telephone use in those five years went from uh, eight minutes a day to ten minutes a day in the five years that the adverts ran. Now, part of the success for BT was recognizing it was not a technology company, but it was in the market instead of reciprocated confidences. Somebody explained it like this. The basis of reciprocating confidences was that the exchange of confidences between human beings leads to better communications and, in turn, deeper relationships. They, that is BT, had put their arms around the very essence of communications and claimed it as their own. BT really could be about improving relationships through enabling the reciprocation of confidences. Now, you could see prayer as communicating with God. And if the chaps behind those BT adverts were right, then the more we communicate with God, the better we get at that communicating. And our relationship with him is deepened, and we have more confidence in that relationship. Now, how we communicate with God is determined by who we think he is. How many of us ring 999 or 911 for a chat about how the day has been? Not many of us. And for those that do, they get bumped off the line really quite quickly. But if you see God as only as the supernatural emergency service, then that's how we choose to communicate, which is never except in a crisis. Research suggests that 90% of humans will call on God in a crisis, but far fewer at other times. So God as crisis resolver or supernatural emergency service is how many people treat God. Another way to treat God is like the shopping delivery service. You know, you, hi God, it's me. Now I need you to send this and do this and fix that, please. Thanks, bye. When we stop to look at it, the focus is me and making the world I inhabit a better place. It's a slightly grown-up version of the child's nighttime prayer of God bless mummy, daddy, and the cat. But it's still all about my concerns, my worldview, my horizons, the things that concern me. Now imagine this kind of behavior and communication strategy with a significant other, whether that's your partner, your spouse, your BFF. Do you only talk in a crisis? I don't think so. Do you talk only to ask for things? No. Instead, it's a much richer, deeper, multi-layered relationship. I hope there are times when one tells the other how amazing they are. That there are times when you seek their forgiveness as you recognize that you've messed up. I trust that there are times when you say thank you too for what they have done and who they are. We can apply all that texturedness of relationship to how we are to relate to God. Uh, 
Thus, for example, Philip Yancey, famous Christian, says this, For me, prayer is not so much me setting out a shopping list of requests to God to consider as it is a way of keeping company with God. Thus, we have the Lord's Prayer. Well, in the reading we had on Sunday, it was Luke 11, 1 to 13. And so in, this, in that Bible reading, there's a shorter version than you learnt at school and shorter than we have here most weeks. I'm going to take some time to look at that. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying this, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. So, Father, Father, it's a relationship thing. In a similar way that we are in relationship as humans, but for Jesus' followers... This is about recognizing that we're part of the family, God's family, that we're adopted in to God's family. And so we say, hallowed be your name. We want to do things which bring honor to God. That if you like, is worthy of the identity that we have within God's family. And then we're called to ask for your kingdom to come. And in this season from Ascension to Pentecost, we are indeed praying that fervently. But we're asking that God's kingdom, God's domain, God's place where there's continual worship, where there's no more crying, no tears, no pain, would that be pleasant, present on earth? Your kingdom come. Jesus then taught, give us each day our daily bread. So enough for the journey, but not so much that we're distracted by caring for this stuff that we cannot take with us. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. So we're asking God to use the same standard with us as we have with others. So if we do not forgive, we are asking God not to forgive us. Another way to look at it is to say, who are we to hold our unforgiveness to others if God is willing to forgive us all of those indulgences, all of those sins, those putting I at the center, S-I-N. Who are we to hold out unforgiveness if God forgives us our sins? And then we're called, Father, lead us not into temptation. For I think we lead ourselves into enough temptation, but we're asking God not to take us there. And I wonder whether some of the difficulties we have when we pray and we ask for things and we think God isn't giving them to us, is because actually... If he did, it would effectively be asking God to lead us into temptation. For we would be distracted by these things that we ask for. 
rather than being freed to worship him, to hallow his name. Now, if all that feels a bit heavy, let's have a look at the story that Jesus told immediately after that. So that's Luke eleven five to uh, 8. He said, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, oh, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Now, Jesus does not draw the parallel for us as to whether we are the one knocking on the door and God is the friend who's, uh, God is the, the sleepy neighbor tucked up in bed. But most commentators make that assumption, which I think is reasonable. I think the point Jesus is trying to make is that the man got the bread because he kept on asking and because he kept on persisting in his request. You can imagine him rattling the door, banging with his fist and calling loudly and repeatedly, pleading to get his needs heard and responded to. It's worth noticing, too, that the request was not for food for himself, but for the third person who had come traveling. It's worth knowing, too, that um, where the man responds, my children and I are in bed, There's nothing um, untoward about that. It's just that everybody slept in in close proximity in an upstairs space. And so if, for for warmth really, and if the um, one man were to get out of bed so it would displace and disturb everybody else, equally when he went downstairs past his his, um, animals, they would then be disturbed and the whole household would be in uproar. So of course the man is rather reluctant in human terms to um, respond to this request. I think the first surprise for me comes in the comment at the end, verse 8. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, I'm using the NIV 2011 text. This is not um, some alternative translation. This is mainstream. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, that's quite a challenge for two groups of people. First of all, for people like me, who have spent much of my life responding to God's love and who might want to call God my friend. For me, then, it underlines that total otherness of God, that he is the creator and I am not, that he can be everywhere at once and I can't, that he knows my thoughts before I put them into words and I don't know anyone else's thoughts unless they express them to me. That God knows the number of days of my life, and I don't. So how dare I call him my mate? How dare I? So it's not because of my friendship with God, but because of my shameless audacity. 
Because I dare to stand in the presence of God and not just worship him, but ask him for things. On the other hand, it's quite a challenge to those who have never really thought much about God. It means that even if you're not sure he exists, or that you, have, you know that you have done stuff you, that does not give him cause for joy, then you can still come to God and ask him and get a response. So it's good news also for the majority that seek God out only in a crisis. At heart, it's a shamelessly audacious act to say, God, I'm not sure if you're there, and I know we don't talk ever, but I need some help now. In the same way, it's audacious to say, God, I've lived my life my way, and I want to change. Will you forgive me and help me to change? So Jesus summarizes his story with some general um, words. So I say to you, says Jesus, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks find. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, I've grown up singing songs, at least a song, around this, these verses. And it's easy to let them merge into one. But asking is about what we say. And knocking clearly is about what we do, because we knock on a door. So seeking, then, you could think is about the heart's desire. In the story, the man wanted bread for his visitor and was motivated by that inner conviction that he needed to feed this traveler. And yet could not do that without help. So let's earth this. Say... You need a new job. You can ask God for one, but equally also, at the same time as asking God for a new job, you could scan the internet and the pages, uh, the pages of the papers for a job. You could clean up your social media account uh, and the images that people, potential employers might see there. You can set your heart's desire on a particular job and ask for God's favor and special wisdom as you write the CV and you go for interview. But you still do. You don't ask and then sit back and say, okay, God, I'm waiting for the phone to ring with that offer of a job. Now, it could happen that way, but it is fairly unlikely. So ask and get, seek and find, knock and the door is opened. It sounds lovely, but it doesn't always feel like this is true. Sometimes I ask, but don't receive. Sometimes I seek, but don't find. Sometimes I knock and the door stays firmly bolted. And James, in his letter, says something quite challenging. This is James 4, verse 2. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get 
on your pleasures. So actually it's about coming back to the prayer that Jesus taught. These are the ways that God calls us to pray. Is what we want going to be honouring to God? Will it actually instead lead us into temptation? Is it outside of our needs and instead more about our wants? Perhaps that's some of the reasons why it feels like the door stays firmly bolted. And you ask but don't receive and you seek but don't find. So let's go back to the Luke passage and see how Jesus concludes this bit of the reading. Luke eleven eleven. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We know how to treat our children and how to love them. And there are times when they ask for crazy things, things that will harm them, so we say no. So we don't give to a toddler a carving knife just because they've asked for it. But more importantly, we don't substitute a good request with a crazy answer. And it's the same with God. And the best gift from God is that gift of himself, his Holy Spirit, the gift which was given to all the followers of Jesus at Pentecost, which in the church calendar comes next week. So Jesus says that God would love to send us his spirit, who inevitably will help us to respond rightly to him, to ask appropriately, to live lives which honor God. And all we do, all we need to do is ask Seek and knock. So by way of summary, then, it's good to talk, but it's even better to be in relationship with God and with the Holy Spirit in us. As John Ortberg said, As long as we have unsolved problems, unfulfilled desires, and a mustard seed of faith, we have all we need for a vibrant prayer life. Thank you for listening.